If you're like most men in our audience, you're committed to becoming the man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be. But the truth of the matter is, you struggle with either finding the time or knowing where to start. That's exactly why I created the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint to give you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to spiritually leading your family, even if you're a new believer. Now, you can't buy the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, but you can get it for free by signing up for our free e-newsletter. By signing up, you will be notified anytime fresh content is added to my site, so you don't always have to visit my blog to stay up-to-date on the latest information. Now, to get your free copy of the Real Men Spiritual Leader Blueprint, just visit realmenconnect.com and simply enter your name and email address on the form on the page. So if you're tired of trying to figure it all out and fit it all in as the spiritual leader, provider, and protector of your family, don't miss your chance to discover how to be the man God called and created you to be. Sign up today at realmenconnect.com. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us Antoine Anderson who is a devoted husband, father, and a friend to many. And he's also the author of Bargain Basement Jesus, The Cost of Following. Antoine was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, and he's experienced and succumbed to many of the social pressures that youth and young adults often experience. In Antoine's book, he talks about his path to building a genuine and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ and offers readers guidance to our own pursuit of a passionate fellowship with Christ. I met Antoine through a mutual friend of ours, a former guest on the show, Jay Mayo. And if Jay's out there listening, hey, Jay. And I asked Antoine to be on the Real Men Connect podcast today to speak boldly and honestly about his personal journey in building a close and intimate relationship with Christ. So with that being said, I want to welcome Antoine Anderson to the Real Men Connect podcast. Antoine, thank you for joining us, brother. Hey, how are you doing, Dr. Joe? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on here today. And I'm excited about having you on, Antoine, because I, I told you even before we came on the air that um, typically, you know, we bring people on to, who are doing some great things for God, particularly helping men. And I want to get back to what I call the roots of our show at Real Men Connect. Well, we get into the personal stories and testimonies of the guests we bring on the show, because, yes, you guys are doing great things for God and you're doing great things for the kingdom. But at the same time, I want men to be able to connect with you. That's why we call it Real Men Connect, to be able to connect with you on a spiritual as well as emotional level to understand that we're all in this same, quote, battle together. So um, I, I'm excited about you being on because I've had a chance to talk to you off the air before. And I was intrigued with your testimony and that you, I know you're going to be so transparent with our audience because you know that it's going to set a lot of these guys free who may be struggling with certain things that they're dealing with in their lives. So um, I'm going to thank you in advance, Antoine, for being so transparent, even before you even start talking, brother. <laughs> amen. Amen. 
Praise now, the Lord. Now, Antoine, we always start our show by asking our men, our guests, what their favorite Bible verse is that gives them inspiration from the Word of God. So, brother, what's yours? Mine is Jeremiah 29 and 11. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, and this scripture, it really speaks to me uh, because at the time when I first came across this text, I was going through a very, very challenging time in my life. And this text comes in a, in a time when the children of Israel, specifically as it relates to the context of the text, when the children of Israel were in uh, captivity and they were in Babylon. And God speaks to them and tells them that, listen, I know that your surroundings are not ideal, basically, uh, but trust and believe that I know the plans that I have for you. And so it speaks to me and it spoke to me at that time in my life that although things looked like they were not in my favor, although we were in a, a, my family and I were in a season that we were really struggling, we still had the ability to trust God because he knew the plans that he had for us. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know how we were going to make it through. We didn't know when we, were, when we were going to get over the hump. We didn't understand it, but we understood that God had a plan for us. And because of that, it gave us hope and it encouraged us. And so from time to time, even to this day, when things get challenging, I go back to this text and it reminds me that God has a plan for me. And his plan is not to bring me home, but his plan is to give me hope in the future. You know, and Antoine, that's a, a great scripture and a um, great verse for a lot of us. I know a lot of us have leaned on that verse. I know I have my wife in particular. Matter of fact, she wants to get that scripture actually painted um, in our bedroom. I don't know if you've ever seen that calligraphy writing that they put on the walls and everything. But oh, yeah. she thought, Joe, what a great scripture that we could wake up to in the morning and see that. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'll let you know if we ever get that done. But that's a great <laughs> scripture, brother. I love it. I love uh, absolutely. It. I mean, it's, it, it speaks life again. You know, especially when you when you're going through things and many of us, I think that's the um, and that, that's the thing that we, we have to recognize that being men of faith, that we experience challenges. But when we go through things, it's, it's we have to be reminded that God knows the plans uh, that he has for us. And that's the that's the key thing that he has plans for us. And the plans are to give us hope and to give us a future. So. That scripture really speaks life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Now, Antoine, you know, in full disclosure to our listeners, um, I've talked to you, I guess it was maybe a few weeks ago, maybe about close to a month ago, and I never received your book in time enough to read your book, but I was so intrigued by your story. So, you know, I want our listeners to know that, you know, hopefully they'll get a chance to get a copy of your book, but you told me some of the stuff that you wrote about in your book, and I'm intrigued with your testimony. So that's basically what we're going to focus on during the course of this interview. But I got to ask you, you know, even though I haven't gotten the book in my hands yet, this title, man, I, I got to tell you, Bargain Basement <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes, sir. I love it. Now, you got it. Before we get into your testimony, your story, and your journey to building an intimate personal relationship with Christ, How'd you come up with this particular? I know from being an author that it, it it's a lot of of um uh, I call it um tension and um sleepless nights of coming up with the right title for a book. How'd you come up with Bargain Basement Jesus? You know, it it, it was it definitely was a process. We um and and I say we because and and the, I guess I thought this I full disclaimer out there as well because I have a God has really surrounded me with. Uh, an amazing team of individuals who support me. Um, I have my family, my wife, my pastor, uh, who's who I call my spiritual father, uh, my, my biological father, my mother. I have a lot of people around me that support me 
they give me uh, insight and, and, and they are just there for me. And so we were uh, tossing a few different names around and uh, my pastor and I, we met and the, the, the focus of the book was definitely going to be the cost of following, but we wanted a title that would get people's attention. Uh, and so we talked about, you know, the, the cost that Jesus himself paid to uh, give us life was exceeding anything that we could have ever paid ourselves. And so the cost that we have to pay for what he paid is a bargain basement price. So the, the title came is a bargain basement price compared to what Jesus himself paid. Oh, I love that, man. That, and that makes perfect sense because you're absolutely right. It, you know, we just I'm dating this, even though this your episode doesn't come out uh, a few weeks later. But we just passed on um, what Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and basically what you're saying, we can't get a better deal than what we got for what Jesus paid for us on that cross. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I love that. Now, now with that aside, let's get into your story, man. I tell you, I can't wait because I believe everyone has a story. So we're going to start with yours, and I want you to share with us, and, and I'll dig in deeper so you don't have to give us everything right now, but kind of give us the highlights. I call it the ESPN version of it, and tell us your story, where it all started, and when you on your path and your relationship with Christ, and from there, we'll dive in deeper into your story. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm uh, originally from Kansas City, Missouri, uh, so I'm a huge fan. I'm just definitely got to throw this out there. Huge fan of Kansas City Chiefs, Kansas City Royals. <laughs> So I'm born and raised, so, you know, we diehard Chiefs and Royals fans. So we excited. Last year we got the uh, World Series, and we we pulling for the Chiefs this year. So, uh, but no, now, born and raised win, in Kansas City. You know, City. I was watching the game last night. Did they win? I oh, yeah, they won. No, 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 no. no. We, 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 we pulled it out. Hey, okay. we, we, we got a little help, but we pulled it out. That's for sure. That's all that matters. I hope so it we'll wasn't help from the ref. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we, <laughs> nah, we were saying God, God was leaning on our side okay. a little bit last night. But no, uh. So, no, we were born and raised in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, and um, I, I come from what most would say, I guess, is a good family, a, a good home. Um, my mom and father uh, divorced at a, when I was at a very young age. However, I was really blessed. Uh, my father remarried, and so my stepmom uh, was in my life at a very young age. Uh, my mom was in my life as well uh, at a very young age, and so... All the way up until I want to say I was in the ninth grade, my mom, my dad, and my stepmom was a part of my life. Uh, my mom moved down to uh, Phoenix, Arizona when I was a freshman. Um, and then after I graduated high school, I, I myself moved down to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, of course, as a kid, you know, we had different challenges. Uh, we lived in a suburban area growing up. Um, after my uh, my father uh, moved us out of a very uh, drug infested area, I would say a pretty rough neighborhood, he moved us into a suburban area, and so we had, you know, we were some suburban kids. However, we had different challenges uh, that we came in contact with, and, and maybe we'll touch that a little later. But you know, moved down to uh, Phoenix, Arizona after I graduated high school, started life down here, saw many more opportunities that were in Kansas City. So I was excited to to do life here. Uh, got off track, started going out, hanging out, partying, clubbing, drinking, uh, and sexing, doing a lot of things that I, I really wasn't doing in Kansas City for the most part. Um, and then I just kind of just started to go down the wrong path, if you will. Uh, I didn't get too involved with drugs outside of alcohol, but I'm, I was I was definitely a womanizer. And so I found myself um, just, just in the gulf of the club life, man. And and um, ended up finding my wife at the time when I found her. I was in a place that I was not supposed to be. 
I was underage in the club and, and I came in contact with her and, you know, we started a friendship and that friendship turned into something else. And we ended up getting together and we ended up getting married. And uh, after we got married, we moved down to Oklahoma for some time and we came back to Phoenix and um, maybe a year into our marriage, we ended up having uh, our first child together, my son, Antoine. And so life, you know, life just kind of went a few different directions. Two years later, we had another child, my uh, daughter, Aaliyah. And so, you know, in the midst of all of that, you know, I was I was still caught up in the, the club life. I was still caught up in alcohol, still sexing, believe it or not. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot more in, in that, but I'm try trying to give you the highlights, if you will. Um, and um, and so from there, I found myself uh, at, at a low point in my life. My uh, my brother had a, a son who passed away at two months old uh, that led, led us all to a, a church for a funeral. And uh, this specific funeral was when I actually came to the church where I belong to right now. And it completely changed my life. Um, I, I think I forgot to mention this, but I was already a believer. I've been a believer since I was 11, was baptized uh, and confessed my, my life to Christ at a young age. Um, but at this time in my life, I was so far away from him, it was unreal. But when my nephew passed away, um, God really used that to bring me back close to him. And so my wife and I found uh, first new life. We began to attend. My, life, my wife decided that she was going to join uh, she was not going to wait on me. And so she ended up joining the church. I ended up joining at a later time. We were doing very well financially. Uh, some things happened at the uh, company that we both work for. And we ended up finding ourselves in a very, very, very harsh uh, financial situation where we both lost our jobs. Uh, we both had to, uh, we, we weren't receiving an income. And so we had to leave, uh, move out of our home that we were living in. And again, it just brought us to a place where we had to really depend on God. And that's when we really, that's when that scripture, Jeremiah 29 and 11, really came to life for me, is during that season of my life. Um, and some things happened where um, the Lord really asked me specifically to uh, confess my adultery to my, my wife during this time of our life when we didn't have many, many resources coming in. And so things were already stressed and tense in the household already. And he asked me to confess uh, my adultery to her, which I did. And, you know, thankfully that uh, she forgave me and we were able to get past that. And so from there, you know, we uh, we were able to bounce back on our feet. And I don't know if I'm going too fast, but we were able to back, bounce back on our feet and, um, you know, get things going back in the right direction. Uh, we both were able to get jobs again. And, you know, God ended up calling me to move into ministry full time where I was able to uh, leave the place where I was working full time to uh, serve at the church where we were attending full time. And, and really from then, you know, uh, some few years passed, my wife ended up losing her job. And so she started this business of daycare and, and fast forward more years, uh, we are where we are right now. She has a daycare business. You know, I'm a published author. I still serve at the church and we do some other things, but on a high, high level, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of my story. Now, and the thing is, no, you weren't going too fast, Antoine. I was just writing faster. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Because you, man, you've unpacked a lot of stuff, which, um, and I'm just hoping to have enough time to ask you about most of it. But um, I wrote down here some notes to myself because I'm going to go back and unpack all of this stuff because I think there are valuable nuggets and lessons, even though I don't even know what they are yet. But I just know for you to be led now into ministry and where you feel that you're in a position now to minister to the hearts and souls and minds of men and well as women, 
as far as obviously you've had to learn a lot in this process. So we're going to start to take you back. Okay. We're going to take you back and I'm going to start back with your parents because you mentioned that you grew up in a good home. And I know that there are men out there and I think it's one, it's kind of like the unspoken fear that we have as parents when we believe we provide a great environment for our children to grow up in. We get them exposed to our faith at an early age. We make sure that they're going, I'm talking about the the conscientious father or mother out there who wants to see their kid walk the path of faith. Now, even though your parents got a divorce at a young age, you said that you had a lot of support around you. And I think one of the unspoken fears that we have as parents is how can we raise our kids in a great environment and they still go down the prodigal path? Uh, when they go off that beaten trail of what we taught them better than that, but they went that route anyway. I don't know if you heard this um, statistic from the Barner study who they do Christian uh, research that they say 90 percent of children will leave the faith after high school. Ninety percent. Now, it doesn't mean they won't return, but that's an alarming rate when you think nine out of 10 kids who were raised in the church will turn their back on the church and say, I don't have anything to do with this. And so let's go back. And this is now from you speaking from the standpoint of helping parents out, especially dads out there who think I'm trying to do everything that God has called me to do. Now, obviously, they shouldn't have gotten um, maybe gone through a divorce and that could have had some trauma. But it happened at an early age. So you don't remember a lot about that. But if you were raised, you say you gave your life to Christ back in 11 years old. If you were raised in the church, you had all this support around you. What happened that caused you to go off the beaten path, the beaten track? Trail. Well, let, let's let's. I mean, let's go ahead and unpack that. Now, I, now, I, what I said was that I was I come from what could be called a good home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now let's let's clarify that. All right, let's um, get that the right. Why, <laughs> the reason why I say that, and 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 it's extremely important to clarify that. And and let me let me throw this out there because again, my parents. I love my parents and I have great relationships with them. Um, and my parents did the best they could do. Um, uh, and, I, and, I, and I continue to emphasize that I had the right support around me. Uh, my father was ever present in my life. He was always there. Um, there and, and even in our conversation that we have even now, uh, my, my dad always talks about more things that he could have done. Uh, we didn't have the social part of our relationship. My dad was a provider. And he was he's uh, he was a uh, an army person. He was in the army. He was armed for in the, in the matter of fact, I think he was in the army. He wasn't in the Marines. He was in the army. But he was he had this sternness about him. And so I was not actually able to have that relational type of relationship with my father. Um, he was there. He provided. He always worked. He showed us what a hard worker was. He was the disciplinarian of the family for sure. Um, and he made sure that we knew right from wrong. He made sure we understood, well, from his perspective, what a man was supposed to do as it relates to provide for his family, have, you know, be, have integrity um, and, you know, be respectful, so on and so forth. And he that's what he did. But we were not able. I was not able, should I say, to have that relationship with my dad where I felt comfortable to speak with him about some of the issues that I was dealing with as a young man. I couldn't speak to him as it relates to about sex, um, about, you know, feeling, you know, left out certain times at school or feeling left out even at home so I, I didn't have that part of our relationship i was able to talk to my stepmother uh, more frequently that i could speak to my my uh, my dad but even her and our relationship had strained because she wasn't my biological mother and i desired a real relationship with my biological mother 
Now, she was there. My stepmother was at every basketball game. She went to the track meet. She went to the doctor's appointments. She was at the every parent-teacher conference. She was there. She supported everything that we did as children. And if you were on the outside looking in, you would have never known that she was not my biological mother. In fact, even to this day, when I introduced people to her, I said, this is my mother. Because she was the mother role in my life throughout my younger years. And then my biological mother, she was there as well. However, it was just a different relationship um, that we had growing up. We, Her and I were not as close as I would have liked us to be. However, she was there in the way that she could, she could be at that time. Um, and so there were a lot of different dynamics that played a role as it relates in my upbringing. However, all my parents were present. Uh, I have family members and really close friends of mine that dad may not have been there. Mom may not have been there or, or both parents may not have been there. They may have been raised by a foster or uncle or maybe even a grandparent. And so what I was, when I say that I would, I come from what would be called a good home. There are some individuals who feel as though because they had mom and dad there, that their life should not, they shouldn't have experienced any type of trouble, any type of, hang up any type of uh, hindrances but that's not true because just because i had three parents doesn't mean that I, I didn't experience any heartache i didn't experience any struggle i didn't i didn't experience any pain and so yes my i had a great support system there however there still was a lot of things that i experienced as a kid and as related to my faith i was blessed because my mom was a believer and she, at a young age she connected me with a christian summer camp they got me to go to a place called the Lake of the Ozarks where I was able to go and experience Christ. I've actually and when been I there. Went I've there. been to the Lake of Ozarks. That's in Missouri, right? That's in Missouri, correct. Yeah, I've been there, yeah. And so when I went, I had the experience. I actually came face to face. I can remember it as I was yesterday. It was yesterday. It was a, a father and son who was like cabin counselors at the camp. And I had gotten into a fight because I was a little knucklehead, hothead, short guy, <laughs> had the short man complex, always wanted to fight somebody. And I remember getting into a fight and the son took me outside and he was talking to me about Christ. And, you know, he was telling me that Jesus loved me and I didn't believe him. And he was saying, no, you know, he does love you. And he, he was just sharing with me. He said, you can actually have him in your heart. And so I remember, you know, saying, well, how does that happen? How can, number one, how can he love me? And number two, how can I get him to come in my heart? Because that's what I want. And I remember sitting out, sitting outside the cabin on my knees on the dirt road, praying for Christ to come into my heart. And so that's how I, how I became a believer. That's how I experienced Christ in my life at such a young age. Now, Antoine, you know, you again, you bring up um, two points about your parents. And I'm glad that you clarify that for us, because because one of the things I wrote down here in my notes is that we think that being present is enough. You know, it's, I guess it's better than being absent. But. Even beyond being present, you're saying that we have to be connected and we have to be connected to our children in a way that we can understand them emotionally as well as be able to understand them socially. Now, I'm going to go to your dad and then back to your biological mom. You know, my heart, you know, feels for your 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 stepmom because I'm in that role of being a, uh, a stepfather. And, you know, like you said, no one would not know that she's not your mom. But at the same time, you there's still that part of the child that longs to have that connection with their biological. And so let's start with your dad. Um, why do you think your dad struggled so much with connecting with you on a social and relational level? Well, see, my, my father's father was not present in his life at all. 
Um, and my dad would even tell me even now, you know, he would, when he was raised, one of the things that were and, and I, and we as parents sometime, and I've heard it over and over again, we repeat this and it's the, the terminology just says that I'm your parent, not your friend. Right. And so he was raised hearing that over and over and over and over again. And so when he raised us, he would tell us, I'm your parent, I'm your dad, I ain't your friend. And it's like, okay, so if you're not my friend, then I can't have a conversation with you. And if you're not my friend, then we can't connect. And I think that, and, and like I said, he and I have already had this conversation. And so there was a struggle for him to have a balance and, and understand that boundary to say, okay, I can still be your father, but I can still also have a friendly relationship with you to where we can have, have that social connection. And bottom line is he wasn't taught. Right. He, he was not taught how to do that. And therefore we were, we were unable to, uh, we were unable to have that type of relationship with him. You know, Antoine, and you know, I'm jumping right in here because I think this is something I don't want the men out there who listen to this to miss what you said, because I've heard it a lot. Like you said, it's become a cliche now. Um, I'm your parent, not your friend. And there's some truth to that. However, but I thought you just said it and you hit it perfectly. That's why I want to stop and go right back to what you said. That yes, he was to be your father, but at the same time, he was to develop some type of friendship. And we said, well, you know, that doesn't seem to be right. Well, God, you know, Jesus told us that we have a relationship. He's, we call him our father, Abba Father. But at the same time, Jesus also said, I call you my friend. Right, absolutely. You know, so we have that respect and that reverence for God as our our father in heaven. But I think a lot of times we struggle in our relationship with God because we, we have a hard time seeing him as a friend. Because, right. oh, he's God, so he's going to drop the hammer on us, and he's going to be this, right. this 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 authoritarian uh, authoritarian dad who's going to punish us. But at the same time, he says, I call you my friend. And so I'm glad you mentioned that, that we can strike a balance there. Um, we have to know when to be a father and when to be a friend. You know, I'll put this in as a side note, even though we're talking about sons here, with my daughter, when I, I take her out on daughter-daddy dates, and when we go on our dates— you know, I'm I'm strictly not being her dad. I'm trying not to be her dad. I just want to be um, a trusted friend and Absolutely. not a worried dad when I'm dating. Her. You know, when I'm taking out on Absolutely, dates. Yeah. But at the same time, when we return home, she'll you know I'll get on her about her room not being clean or something, and she'll say, "Dad, you're being so mean. How could you were mean like this when you took me out?" I said, "Yeah, because I was your <laughs> friend when I took you out." I said, "I'm your right. dad now that you're back at home." <laughs> right, and you know, and with my son, you know, because the thing is that. I desire one of the things with his relationship with my children, not just my son, but with all my children, is that I want them to be able to speak to me, come ask me a question. I want that relationship with them, and if they don't see me as friendly, they're not going to do that. Right? Uh, they're they're not going to share their most intimate. Thought. Now, I have to understand also they're not going to tell me everything, and I can't be naive to believe right, that they're right. going to just flat out tell me everything. But they're going to tell me more if they feel like I am a safe place for them to talk. Yeah. But if if it's if it's simply, you know, bringing the hammer down or disciplinary, they're not going to share as much with me if it, if it was where they're able to come and share and me not go off the handle, so to speak, but me actually just being a listening ear uh, or be able to just have a conversation with them, just like like a friend. Yeah. And said, I think you told me earlier, even before the show, that your son is nine and your daughter is seven. Um, you say, that's Antoine Jr. and Aaliyah. And 
now is that time because I can tell you from being the parent now of a of a college age son and a high school daughter, that window of opportunity to build that bond and relationship socially is only going to last so long until they find their own independence. And they're not going to want to talk to you about anything. Like you said, they're not going to tell us everything, but man, they should be able to come and tell you something. But if you don't make that connection early on and you are right now in the prime stages of building that trust, um, you will miss that opportunity and they'll go to their, quote, trusted friends to get advice. Now, you now you explain your dad, which makes perfect sense that if he hasn't been taught, you know, my background in education that we always talk about kids being ADD, ADHD. And I said, but we got to understand that some parents, especially dads are ABT, ain't been taught. (laughs) And so they don't know any better. So we have to have a little bit more compassion for him, which it seems you have that for your dad, that he didn't know any better. He did the best he could, but what he from the lack of knowledge that he had. But now let's go to your mom before we get into the rest of your story. Now, you mentioned it with your mom that your I'm going to talk about your biological mom now, that the relationship is not where you want it to be. Now, tell me what happened in that relationship, because I'm assuming that your dad had custody of you with your stepmom. So you you would go visit your mom to build a relationship. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. So Initially, what was the impasse there? What happened between you and her that said it's not as close as it should have been? Because usually mothers are nurturing. So I want to know well, what happened there. Initially, what happened, uh, my, mo- my mother, because when my father was in the, uh, when the army, my mother actually had custody of us. Okay. Um, and then when we, I, I can't, I was in, I must have been in the third grade. I remember my brother and I asked my mother, could we live with my dad? Um, and she agreed to So it's just you that. and your brother, right? Well, I, it's, it's, it's a whole lot of us now. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> right. so I, I, have, I have an older brother who he and I share the same parents. And then I have some younger siblings that don't have the same parents. So gotcha. me and my older brother, we have the same parents. And so um, we, we went to my mom and we basically... Um, she asked if we want to say my dad, we told her, yeah, you know, um, and that's a whole nother conversation. But so she allowed us to, to go stay with my, with my, with my dad and, and being a, being a, being a parent now, I understand that that had to have been very challenging for her right. to do. Um, as kids, we don't understand. And, and, and this is another thing, kind of a side note that I'm learning even to this day. There are so many things in my past that I have being connected to as it relates to my emotions and feeling feelings that are from a child's perspective that I have to go back and revisit and review them and review my perspective and see that some things I was I'm holding on to from a child's perspective that I need to look at it from an adult's perspective because some things I didn't understand as a kid but now I understand it as an adult like that specific thing my mom wanted us to be able to be men and at the time the best way for that to happen we wanted to live with our father and so she knew that my dad was going to be able to do that. And my father wanted to be a part of our life. So she graciously allowed us to go live with him. I don't know that I would have been able to do that like she did. That took a great amount of strength for her to do that. And being a, a parent now and seeing and understand that now, I have a greater respect for my mother now way more than I did when I was a kid. Because even though I had asked to live with my, my father, I kind of was like, well, okay, she just kind of let us go. And so for me, there was a little bit of, okay, you just kind of let us go. So there was a little bit of animosity that was there. Also, I was the, for a long time, I was the middle child. So, you know, there's always this middle child complex, if you will. So I had my older brother, and then I had another younger brother who was like, Jerry is, I think he's like four years younger than I was. So my older brother 
kind of got some special privileges and my younger brother kind of got some special privileges. And so whenever we would go visit my mom, I felt as though my older brother got away with murder. And then my younger brother, his father was there. So he got away with murder. So I felt like a lot of the, the, the short end of the stick fell on me. So because of that, I stopped really wanting to go visit my mom. So I, w- I would try to come up with any reason possible not to go spend the weekend at her house. Whether it be, yeah, I'm going to go play in this basketball tournament when I really ain't got to go play. Or I'll go stay at one of my friend's house. Or, oh, I don't feel like going. It got to the point where my, I used to get in trouble because I didn't want to go to spend the weekend with, at her house. So, therefore, we didn't really develop that relationship. And the crazy thing about it is, is when I was like two years old, I ate rat poison. And when I ate rat poison, me and my mother were extremely close to the point where the, we used to spend time at the hospital together because I, I had to eat through a tube. So with me eating through a tube, we had we had developed this closeness. So by the time I think I must might have been four or five or however old I was, as I kept growing and when we let when we end up going to live with my dad, that that bond was broken. And then I had the older brother and younger brother, so I had the the middle child complex, if as you will. And so there was all these different dynamics that played a role in my disdain for going to see her. Now, let me ask you this, Antoine, and I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. And you, you can just say, Joe, that's not fair. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> because what you're telling me is that, you know, with your dad, he didn't know. With your mom, it was more so of you not understanding her point of view and feeling a little bit, uh, I would say, for lack of a better word, rejected or given up so easily not fighting for you to stay or whatever but you know and obviously we it, it makes sense now that like you I love what you said about how we have to let go of the child's perspective and look at it from an adult perspective and you have a new respect for her now but this is the question and I don't know if it's fair or not but if you had to give some advice now being an adult to your mom because it really wasn't her fault per se but if you had to give some advice to her as a parent knowing what you know now being a little bit more mature how should she have handled that situation when you asked to move with your dad? Because most men out there who listen to this probably think, well, he's a son. He should go with his dad. So we're applauding her for allowing you to go. But at the same time, it turns your heart a little bit against her. So if you can go back and fix that or at least give her some advice that would have maybe made it better for you to have that relationship with her. What would you have told her now? Telling her Communi- Communication. I, I know for sure that if if it was if she had communicated more with me as a as a child, even and it may sound strange, like okay, you're a kid, you don't have to. Because how old were you at the time, Antoine? How old were you? I was in the third grade. Oh, so, man, that you, so you were eight, eight, right? Eight maybe years old. Eight years old. But yeah, absolutely. So, and I know, and I and I know the I, I can hear the echoes, I can hear the screams <laughs> and the shout, right? You a kid? She ain't got to explain herself to you, right? That's right. right. The, but this is the problem with that, though. The problem with that is, so for all them those years, there was so much confusion within me because I didn't understand. Right. Not only that, she had conversations with my older brother, who was three years older than me. Now, no, you don't have to go into great detail, but at some level, have conversation. Talk to me. You know, I may, obviously, I, you know, I can't probably comprehend, couldn't have comprehended at, at the way that I'm able to comprehend it now. But I believe, and that could be wrong, but I truly believe that that would have helped me through the process. And again, going back to even 
uh, what we talked about with my father, having relationship with our children means that we speak to them. And going back to the scripture that you used when Jesus says, I called you friend, he said, because I, I called you friend because you know what I'm doing. Speaks to what? Conversation, communication. Right, right. And so if it was one thing, it's communicate. And ongoing communication. You know, that, remember, there you, you hit the key word. That's what was jumping up in my spirit as you explained this is the ongoing. That, yeah, at eight years old, you may not fully comprehend everything. But the communication doesn't stop with you having an eight, uh, eight-year-old conversation. <laughs> you correct. Know, you have a eight, uh, conversation at eight years old, nine years old, <laughs> ten years old. And, love, and you continually communicate to a love of understanding. So, And, and I think that's going to bless some people out there who think, I don't need to tell my child anything. Yes, you do. You just need Absolutely. to be able to communicate it to them in a way that they can understand. Now, since, we, you know, and I know we have some women out there listening. They say, well, Joe, you got on what he could tell the mother. What would he tell his dad? So I'm going to ask you that question. If you can go back to your dad and give him some advice now that you have more compassion for him not knowing, what would you what advice would you have given him being a dad in that situation with the kids? Again, if you're on the outside looking in, what advice would you tell him? He says, she, I'm just you're not I'm just your dad. I'm not your friend. What advice would you give him? I definitely establish relationship with the children and it's not it's not not just a fatherly relationship but Antoine, how you know we hear that all the time you, know, you need to build a relationship with your children how do we do that absolutely for instance i and i give you and i'll give the real life examples of how i do it with my son so the most easiest bridge is sports because my son loves sports but even while i'm playing sports with him i go outside and play catch throw the ball around i'm asking questions about school I'm asking questions about friends. I'm asking questions about the TV shows that he likes to watch. I'm talking about the Legos that he likes to build. I'm asking questions about things that he's interested in. I'm talking about stuff that may not necessarily be interesting to me, but they're interesting to him. I'm going into his world. And I'm, the reason I'm going into his world because I want to get to know him. And I want him to know that I care enough that I want to get to know you. I want you to know that I want to come into your world and I want to be a part of your world. I know I'm dad. I know I'm your daddy, but I want to be a part of your world. I want to have a real relationship with you. And so when, when, when I do that, that lets him know that he can talk to me about not just Legos, not just uh, uh, basketball or baseball, not just, you know, stuff, you know, schoolwork or, or grades and stuff. But he talks to me about that. He can, my son told me he was in love with a girl, right? He's <laughs> nine, nine years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I said, well, what is it? You know, I was able, son, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Right? And he said, well, I love her. Well, what do you mean what you, you love her? What does that mean to you? Well, I, I like, I think she's interesting. I like, I want to go play with her. I want to, you know, go build stuff with her. I want to have fun <laughs> with her. You know, but he felt comfortable enough to come to me right. and to have that conversation with me. And so there are many other things that we talk about. I mean, we talk about, he asks, he just asks any question. He feels comfortable to ask any question to me. And that's, and that's because I believe is because I am, I have gone into his world and I talk to him about stuff that he's interested in. And so I build relationship with him. It ain't just about the things that are the essentials, the school, the sports, the, the, the clean up your room, the, you know, it ain't just those things. It's the things that he likes to do, even if it's stuff that I'm not interested in. Right. You know, and Antoine, um, and this is good. I'm covering this as far as looking at the mistakes of some of our parents and not. And I'm hoping that people not getting the wrong impression. We're not beating up your parents. 
we're trying to understand parents better. And I go back to what you said earlier of letting go of the child's perspective and looking at it from an adult perspective. And so you're giving us you're playing armchair quarterback, so to speak, to go back and say, boy, if we could go and fix that, this is what we would have done differently. That's for us who haven't made those mistakes yet so we can learn from it. I want to say this about my parents, though, seriously. Uh, I, I love my parents and I love all of my parents. My, my, my father, Charles, my mother, Tammy, who's my biological mother and my mother, Robin, who's my stepmother. And I know that without all three of them, not one, not two, but without all three of them, I would not be who I am today. I wouldn't right. be the, the man I am. I wouldn't be the father I am. I wouldn't be the husband I am. Without them, God knew what he was doing. He knew that I needed extra help. <laughs> Because I have a lot of messes we're to get into. Oh, yeah. But without all, all three of them, and and we can, as you put it, be the the, uh, quarter, the what's called armchair quarterback or the backseat driver, if yeah. we if you will. But they genuinely they did the best they could, and I know there's no doubt in my mind that my parents love me. All three of them, they love me, and everything that they've done in my life, every decision they made was because they wanted the best for me. And so I thank God for them. I genuinely thank God for them. I thank God for the relationships that I have with them. And I know, again, that if it was not for each one of them, I would not be where I'm at today. Right. Because we could easily do a show on all the things they did right. Um, but we're trying to uncover the things that we do as fathers, as parents, that we don't know. We don't see our blind spots all the time. You know, I always tell my son all the time. And he says, Dad, I don't know if I can be the kind of parent or dad you are. And I say, oh, you can be a lot better. He says, how do you figure that? I said, just do all the good stuff I did and don't repeat the bad stuff I did. <laughs> you know, and you're going to be better than I was by default. And so, but we could do a show just on that, but we're trying to make sure we uncover the blind spots in our own lives. But so I don't want to shortchange the time on getting to your stuff because you went off on a beaten path that you probably shouldn't have gone on. And I still don't hear or understand. Well, I can guess I can understand a little bit that there's still some wounds there, even though they're below the surface and they're not dramatic wounds. But what do you think took you down this path? Uh, Because your parents didn't teach you to do that. Oh, um, no, to go into not. all this other stuff that you got involved in. What what do you think led you down? And where were the wounds that led you down this particular path? What do you think? I, I, without a shadow of a doubt, it goes back to trying to fit in and trying to find trying to find value in in what others think of me. Um, and, and because of that, I found myself in relationships. I found myself in situations and circumstances that I didn't need to be in. Um, and you're absolutely right. My parents didn't teach me any of those things. I may have seen some things as a kid I probably shouldn't have seen. <laughs> right. But uh, I made some decisions on my own. Um, and, and it was it was basically because I was really trying to fit in and I was trying to find value in things that I, I really shouldn't have try, been trying to find value in. And so that that's really what led me down, specifically as it relates to, I can really speak to um, the, the alcohol the alcohol was started because um, I was in a bad relationship. Now, I had seen others in my life partake in alcohol and drink alcohol a lot. And I had said to myself, I would never do that. Then I got into a relationship that was bad. The relationship ended. And the thing that I knew to go to to ease the pain was alcohol. And when I went into the, the when I started drinking, all the fear was gone. So now I can go to the club. Now I can go holler at women. Now I can speak my mind, if you will, with no fear. Right. And so 
what do you call it? liquid courage is what liquid no. liquid yeah. courage yeah. the the i mean they call it a lot of different things it just was not it was no good for me though but i didn't i didn't learn that until years later and so the alcohol became became the the thing that i went to to try to not only find comfort but also to find that courage and to also to find confidence and so when when i went to alcohol i was already I was already addicted to sex because I had a porn pornography addiction, I had a masturbation addiction, and I had a, a low-key sex addiction. And so when I had added the alcohol to that, and now I'm in, in Arizona, and it's a completely different city, a com completely different culture, I was able to go to clubs specifically without having to be concerned with my physical well-being like I was in Kansas City because the, the culture there was different. Now I can go to the club interact with women, have the ability to have one night stands with alcohol that has given me the courage. Now I can feed this monster of a sex addiction. It just led me down a path that was just much more like a black hole. Now we're getting into some of the serious stuff that a lot of men struggle with. I've struggled with some similar struggles as well. And you, and I love the way you phrase this. You said that, um, the, you know, the alcohol gave you the courage and I know from being in that place where you start womanizing and starting to sleep around that, you know, even though they're one night stands and they don't really mean anything, it gives you a false sense of confidence that you're able to get with these women. And and I think that and that goes back to a deeper wound that we have of not being affirmed. And so I'm going to put you in the expert seat now that for us who have children especially particularly young sons, because somewhere along the line you had, you know, because it's, it's almost a given now that young men will be exposed to porn. I mean, there's just no way around it. You're going to be exposed to it. The question is how are you going to respond to it? But if a person who is lacking confidence, they're lacking courage, that they haven't been affirmed, they're more they're going to be more susceptible to being enticed by pornography. So what can we do as dads? to instill that courage and that confidence in our sons to kind of at least reduce the risk of them succumbing to this? I mean, we, I don't think it's, um, there's ever, I don't personally, and some people may disagree with me on this, but I, I don't believe that you can ever, um, I guess I can say stroke your children enough. Uh, and what I mean by that is continue to build them up in a healthy way. Now, I'm not telling you to tell them they're the greatest person in the world. Where but everybody gets a trophy. Them, <laughs> right. Absolutely. But just, you know, like I always tell my son, I always build my son up in a way that, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging him to do his best and to, to know that, you know, as long as he does his best, you know, that's great. And to do as best he can, that's all he can control. And that he's a great kid and he's smart and that he's handsome and, you know, that he's a man. And so I, I really build him, him up from a point of view that he'll, he'll find confidence in himself knowing that just because Billy Bob or somebody else down the street does not say that that's who you are, you don't, don't listen to who they tell you who you are. You have to understand who you are and you have to find value in who God says you are because that's one of the things that we really, my wife and I, we really try to instill in our children is to really grab hold to who God says that you are because even I can't tell you who you are truthfully you got to know who God says that you are because that's who you are. And so those are the those are the affirmations that we're giving them constantly. We're just constantly just putting it in them. This is who God says you are. You're holy. You're wonderfully made. You're beautifully, fearfully, you're wonderfully made. You, you, you were knitted together in your mother's womb. You know, you're God's masterpiece. And this is why, 
And so we're, we're constantly expressing this to them so that they can have confidence in, in themselves to know that just because their friends may not say this doesn't mean that what their friends say that is what their friends say is the truth. Now, pornography is a, man, I don't think people really understand. Pornography is, there was a study, and I hate to even bring it up because I can't quote it specifically, and maybe you can help me out. But there was a study that said that pornography, the part of the brain that it that it uh, affects is the same part that crack affects in your brain. Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard the same and, study. Yeah. And it's like, we think that it's no big deal. I was told at a very young age that every married man had what should have at least one pornography video in his home. Wow. That was one of the things that I was taught, wow. not by my father, right. but I was taught by other men around me. And so I had this belief that that was, that was what, that was what I was supposed to do. And so pornography is so, is such a powerful weapon, if you will, that is, that is just demoralizing our young people, not just young men, but young women too. But that's, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But nevertheless, it's really trying to build them up to know who they are in Christ. And then another aspect of, that we're working on now, especially with our young people, is explaining to them what sex was really designed for. Because that's not the one thing I think that we don't talk about enough, is what was sex designed for? What did God really uh, create sex for? We can talk about not having sex, which is good, but why not? Because they're, they're, they're around individuals who's talking about this all the time. So to not talk about what it was designed for kind of does not help them in their conversations that they're hearing at school. And my son talked about he's in the fourth grade. He came home and he said, Dad, I was at recess and I can't say the other kid's name. He said, but, you know, one of the kids at school uh, told me that he loved this girl and he loved her so much that he was going to go have sex with her. And I said, well, son, what did you say? He said, well... I told him that that's not showing love to go have sex with a girl. <laughs> and I said, wow. well, good job, son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, you, you know, the, the data has shown now that they said um, now that kids are being exposed to porn now at the age of eight. It was 11 and now it's dropped down to the age of eight because it's accessible and it's available. Um, pretty much anywhere. So this is going to have to be a conversation that we have with kids, whether we like it or not as parents. And I'm right. looking at the time, Antoine, I could tell you, and I'm going to skip past the man of questions today. And I know people are used to hearing me ask the man of questions, but I can't, I'll be remiss if we don't go into your relationship with your wife, because you, you shared your testimony and you, you went through some, some hard times um, financially, both of you guys. And you confessed your adultery to her. And typically, that could be the end of a marriage. First of all, how long have you guys been married, number one? And when you told her this, and I'll follow up with another question, um, what year in your marriage were you? We Well, this Feb February the 10th, it would be 11 years. 11 years, okay. Um, and I believe that I shared this with her. It had to have been, and must have been, Four years, four or five years ago, had to have been five okay. years ago. So four or five years ago, in which we know that, and we're not going to even get into that particular thing as far as what it takes to rebuild trust, because that's a whole nother show. And <laughs> right. and we could talk about what it takes to rebuild that trust. Um, but I want to address, 
what made her stay? What made her decide that you're going to be worth? Because based on what you've told us, you've had a history of clubbing, womanizing, and, you know, getting into porn, all this other stuff. And so having to come clean, we know that you guys could not have a relationship unless you came totally clean with her because you wouldn't be doing this show right now. <laughs> but, right. Um, but you had to come clean with her. But what made her after that decide, you know what, Antoine's worth it. Our family's worth it because we've seen people break up over a lot less. Right. What made her stick, stand and stay with you? In, in all honesty, man, it actually was it was what was going on bef- before I confessed. OK, um, we actually we started we were going to a uh, we went to a marriage conference um, that that maybe a month before I confessed. And at the marriage conference, something was shared. That's why I, and not to get off track, but that's why I really believe in the power of a testimony, because there was a testimony shared at the marriage conference that we both was like, wow, can't believe that they stayed together. And so by the time I confessed it, I had it was it was for sure two and a half, maybe three years since I had stopped. And so in my mind, when God talked, because I was at the prayer center that we have at our church, and God said for me to share this, I'm telling him, hey, why? This is over with. Yeah, this is not over, something yeah. that's new. There's no need to bring this back up. All yeah. it's going to do is hurt her. And he, you know, he basically was telling me that this was the reason in our marriage that we were stagnant. This is why we weren't able to go forward because I had this secret from my wife. Um, and so I had basically already started to demonstrate a change. Um, and not only that, we had surrounded ourselves with other individuals, other married couples who were believers, who were a strong support in our marriage. And so when I confessed to her, she left that day. And uh, she shares, and, and I can't share too much of her side of the story, but she shared that she made a phone call, a couple phone calls to the women that she uh, was connected to. And some of them shared with her, you know, Antoine is not that same individual who he used to be. And so based on those conversations, based on, you know, where we were already at in our marriage at that point, you know, my wife, when she came back home and she said this, she said, listen, after we talked about it, she said she would never bring it back up and i have to be honest with you she's not one time she's never brought it back up and used it in anger she's not one time wow. brought it back up wow throwing it in my face at all she's never brought it back up that is awesome she's actually showing you the love of christ man that is that is yes. amazing you know and i man i tell you i'm looking at the time we're running out of time and i keep thinking i, I want to do do your story justice. And I'm trying to anticipate what I know that men out there are asking or at least think about it. At least I'm thinking about it. I feel, I feel terrible because I feel like I, I we I mean, I feel like we haven't covered it. I know I we haven't scratched the surface, but I'm trying to give them enough information that they can say, wow, I could take something from my Antoine's story. But I won't let you leave without answering this question, because you said that it was about two years you had stopped the behavior. Now, I know from going down a dark path that it seemed like it was almost impossible to stop and to change Correct. what happened how did you get out of the darkness to maybe even get to a point of just being able to say you know what i'm better than this god intended me and created me for more than this i'm not going to keep doing this damage to my wife and my kids what got you out of that that darkness what happened so so the it, w- it was a step-by-step process okay so we had moved away we had moved out of the neighborhood where we were living in I had stopped hanging around the same crowd. Okay, hello. I had, <laughs> I stopped hanging around the, the individuals. I had stopped drinking. That's that helped me. Well, actually, I had, yeah, I stopped drinking. 
as much. Let me say that. I had to completely stop drinking. Um, and it's crazy. This is going to sound, and it may not. So I stopped cheating on her with other women. Women, I was still, now I said this is going to sound crazy. And I know we don't have time to talk about it. <laughs> I was still cheating on her by way of masturbation and pornography. And so it was a process from the women to the masturbation and then the and the pornography till we were able to finally, I stopped watching the pornography. Then I stopped masturbating. And then we, I still had the pornography in the house. And then I was able to get the pornography out of the house. Now through all of this, and, and, and I, and I say this last prayer was essential because I was constantly praying, asking God, help me remove this out of my life because I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it by myself. I would go days and say, I'm, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Boom, I'm watching pornography again. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm masturbating again. I'm done, I'm done. And then it would just be the same cycle. And then finally, I'll get one week, I'll get two weeks, I'll get three weeks, I'll get a month, I'll get two months, and so on and so forth. So it was a process. I had to stop. Like, I had to put, uh, like, uh, what do you call those? Uh, filters, filters on my cell yeah. phone. Mm -hmm. I had to do all of those things to, to help myself stay, stay uh, healthy and safe. Now, Antoine, did accountability and support from other brothers play any role in all of this? Oh, absolutely. I had a group of individuals who I was praying with, a group of men. We was praying together once a week every Thursday. And they absolutely was very, held me very much accountable. And they was very supportive in it. So they, they was accountable without being judgmental. Gotcha. So, yeah, they were accountable without being judgmental. And, and they even said, hey. You know, won't you put a picture of Jesus on your phone so you won't go? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it, small things like they were giving me suggestions. You know, well, why don't you put a passcode on your phone so that when you, if you got to go through all these different steps, maybe as you go through some of these steps, it will prevent you from actually coming to a place where you're watching a pornography. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm hoping that they get out of this, the men out there who may still be in the struggle, in the battle, is that you hit the key. You said you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone because my story would be similar to your story of having to get the support around me to come out of it and get that, like you said, accountability without the judgment. And there are men out there who are ready to embrace you because they're going through similar struggles. They even gone, they even gotten out of it, going through it, or getting ready to go through it, so they can relate and understand. It's the enemy who wants us to believe that we're the only ones struggling with this issue or with this particular problem. And uh, I, you know, even though we're getting ready to close the show out, Antoine, I still believe that you've shared so much today. At least I have the notes to prove it, based on what I've written down. <laughs> is the information you shared, and I think we touched on a lot of different things. But it also gives me a reason and excuse to bring you back on the show, especially if I had a chance to receive and and read your book. I can't wait to read your book because I think you told me that you go into a lot of details with this story um, in your book. So if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, would you mind coming back on the show and and um, talking with us again? Absolutely, you know, and, and forgive me, and I, I, I genuinely feel bad because I feel like I just was rambling, and there's so much no, more that I would no, love to share. No, not at all, brother. <laughs> but absolutely, yeah, absolutely, I would, I would be completely honored to be back on. Absolutely. Now, and I can tell you that you didn't ramble because if you were rambling, I wouldn't be able to ask you the questions that I were asking you. So they followed a pretty much a sequence, and I tried to touch on as much as I can based on what you shared. The only thing I didn't cover was um, how you guys dealt with the financial hardship, which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Going through Absolutely. that process. But Antoine, very quickly for our listeners, if they wanted to find out more about you or at least reach out to you, because maybe they may have some questions I didn't ask today, how could they 
connect with you and reach out to you? Right now, the best way to do it is through my Facebook page. Um, and I have my Facebook page. It's uh, Antoine E. Anderson. And that's Antoine spelled A-N-T-I-O-N-E. And then E like elephant. Last name is Anderson. And the Anderson is spelled with the S-O-N. That's Antoine E. Anderson. Okay, and that's on your Facebook page, and we'll put that in the show notes as well, and so they can reach out to you. Because if they do have questions, I would encourage them to um, to reach out to your Facebook page and post a question or instant message you or something like that. Because I know you'll be willing to answer some of their questions. Oh, absolutely. And guys, that's uh, the end of our show today. And um, I just want to take a moment, just to, again, thank you, Antoine, again for. Um, being a guest on our show and being so gracious with your time, brother. I really appreciate your transparency and your vulnerability today. Thank you, man. Oh, no problem at all, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I just I truly am honored to be uh, able to share. Thank you for allowing me to come on and speak to not only with you, but also speak to your audience. I don't take it uh, for granted, and I am greatly, greatly, greatly appreciative of it. And Anton, we're definitely going to have you back on the show again. So I appreciate you making yourself available to us. And to all of you guys out there listening, please do us a favor. And this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program. It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. Guys, you've made us number one on the Christian Men's Podcast chart. And we want to stay there. So keep sharing us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in his grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.